Hello and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, the show that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Cole, and illness has ravaged my voice, but I'm powering through just because I love you. Remember to check out the website, howgooditis.com, and the Twitter, and the Instagram, and of course the Facebook page, which you can find over at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. And please consider supporting the show as a patron for just five bucks a month. There's a newsletter every week that catches you up on music news of the present and the past, and... I've unlocked some newsletters from the past uh, couple of months to give you a little bit of a preview. Click the link on the website or point your browser to patreon.com slash how good it is. And I know, by the way, that I do repeat some of this information at the end of the show. And so I look at the statistics for the show and it tells me like, you know, how many people are playing it like 25% of the way through and how many people are playing it all the way through and that kind of thing. And I've noticed that there are a lot of people who don't play it quite to the end and I think because you're hearing the repeat of the information and you say okay the show's done I'm out now but I also want you to realize that one of the last things I say before I sign off for good is I give a preview of the following show so if you're interested in that kind of thing well then please stick with me all the way to the end if you don't mind meanwhile I've got some music video trivia for ye today I want you to tell me what the videos for these songs have in common. They are A View to a Kill by Duran Duran, uh, You'll Be in My Heart by Phil Collins from the uh, Tarzan soundtrack, Forever Man by Eric Clapton, and Everybody Have Fun Tonight by Wang Chung. Got those? View to a Kill by Duran Duran, You'll Be in My Heart, Forever Man, and Everybody Have Fun Tonight. You want one more? Let's go with uh, Hip to Be Square by Huey Lewis and the News. What do the videos for those songs have in common? And I will have that answer at the end of the show. Rod Stewart's first big hit, Maggie May, like several other songs we have discussed in this here space, was not intended to be a hit. In fact, and also like several other songs we've discussed in this space, it wasn't even intended to be on the album. So let us go back to those days of late 1970 to early 1971. Every Picture Tells a Story was Stewart's third solo album, and because Stewart was still with the band Faces, all of that band's members appeared at some point on the album. However, because of contractual restrictions, the album's credits were left purposely vague, and it's possible, but not known for sure, that the entire band did in fact play on the cover of The Temptations' I Know I'm Losing You. The story behind Maggie May was told by Stewart himself in a 2007 interview with Q magazine and again in his autobiography, which was titled simply Rod. He wrote that when he was 16 years old, he and a bunch of friends snuck into the Bolio Jazz Festival in the New Forest by crawling through an overflow sewage pipe. Now, let me break away from Stewart's story for a minute to tell you about the Bolio Jazz Festival. The festival ran in that British town from 1956 through 1961 on the grounds of Lord Montague of Bolio's home. And generally, these were big 
peace and love type events, with the exception of the 1960 festival. Nobody's quite sure how it got started, but there was basically a clash of fans of different jazz styles during uh, Mr. Acker Bilk's performance. The arguments actually moved up to the stage itself, and that's when things got out of hand. It wasn't the first time something like this had happened, but it was definitely the worst, especially in as much as the BBC was broadcasting the event live on television before cutting away several minutes earlier than planned, with the announcer saying only, things are getting quite out of hand. 39 people were injured, some broadcast rigging was wrecked, and an outbuilding was set on fire. Now, since there was another festival the following year, it's unclear why they stopped other than maybe the sponsor, Lord Montague of Bolio, had grown tired of holding them on his grounds. It's also possible that having all these beatnik types come to town every year was just generally bad publicity. At any rate, Stuart was at the festival in, by my math, that last festival in 1961, when, as he writes, quote, There on a secluded patch of grass, I lost my not remotely prized virginity with an older and larger woman who had come on to me very strongly in the beer tent. How much older, I can't tell you, but old enough to be highly disappointed by the brevity of the experience, unquote. Now, When Stuart writes songs, he has a habit of composing the melody line first and then filling in the song lyrics later on, and that's pretty much how Maggie May came to be. He and guitarist Martin Quittenton, who was with the band Steamhammer, had gotten together at Stuart's house, and Quittenton played a few chords that caught Stuart's attention. He started working out a vocal melody to go with these chords, and he temporarily plugged in the words to an old folk song called Maggie May, M-A-E, And that'll be important later, so keep that in the back of your head. That, in turn, got him thinking about that day, 10 years earlier, when he met up with that older woman, and he started filling his notebook with ideas, finally coming up with a story about a young adult who falls for an older woman and isn't quite sure what to do next. Now, I'm going to pause the story for a second and give you a personal recollection. I was about eight years old when this song came out, and I do remember it being played on the radio because my parents were pretty deeply into pop music. It's late September, and I really should be back at school. And I remember being quite confused by those opening lines, especially the part about it being September and how he should be back in school. Eight-year-old me couldn't solve that mystery. Why Why didn't his mother just make him go to school? I don't think I actually voiced my confusion, so it was a while before I truly understood what was going on. Okay, so Stuart gets a melody line together, and they take it into the studio. For Maggie May, he had Ron Wood and Ian McLagan from the band Faces, of which he was still a member, remember, plus Quittenton and Ray Jackson on the mandolin. Jackson had been hired for the track Mandolin Wind, and Stewart liked the way that worked out, so he decided he'd also like to have Mandolin on Maggie May. Jackson was asked to come up with something that they could use to end the song, and he was pretty much able to come up with something on the spot. And that's kind of cool, but there's a controversy attached to that that I'll get to in a bit. Rounding out the band was Mickey Waller on drums, but here's an interesting detail that I think actually adds to the song. Waller arrived at the recording session with the expectation that there would be a drum kit there in the studio, and in fact there was, but nobody could find any cymbals to go with the drum set. So they did what they could, getting the song nailed in two takes, and Waller had to come in a few days later 
and overdub the cymbal crashes. And that, for me, that the, the extra prominence in punctuating the song is part of what makes it great. If they had been banging on cymbals during the original recording, I think they'd be deeper in the mix. But instead, they're practically out front with Stewart's voice, and I, I, just, I just love that. The song runs at 5 minutes and 46 seconds if you include the mandolin introduction, and while it's got a bunch of changes in it, it doesn't really have a chorus as such, and pretty much everyone involved thought that it was a little bit of an oddball song to the point where it was nearly left off the album. However, when they started to put the album together, they realized they were about five minutes short, and, well, Maggie May was already in the can, so why not just throw it in and be done with it? Mercury Records didn't think much of it either, so they released it as the B-side of Reason to Believe. And how many times have I told this story? At some point, a DJ flipped the record over. In this case, it was at WOKY in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he decided he liked the B-side better, and suddenly that's the one that's getting all the airplay. And as the record caught on, Mercury was forced to release it as a single in its own right. All right, let's clean up a few details now. That mandolin opening has its own title on the UK releases of the album, and it's called Henry. That part of the song was written by Martin Quittenden, and it was Stewart's way of giving him a little bonus. Remember a few episodes back when I said one long song gets one song royalty, while two shorter songs get two song royalties? Well, same principle applied here, and it doesn't matter that Henry is only 23 seconds long. It's still a song in his own right, and Quittenden does have partial writer credit on Maggie May, but he has full writer credit on Henry. Next, Ray Jackson's story. Jackson came from the band Lindisfarne. Now, in 2003, he threatened to sue Stewart because he thought he deserved a partial writing credit for the song. Now, Stewart had hired Jackson on several occasions after the Every Picture Tells a Story sessions, but he knew nothing about Jackson having a problem with the song. There were rumors and such in the 1980s to a point where a representative for Stewart had to reply publicly that, look, Jackson was a work-for-hire guy, he'd been compensated for his work, we're done here. I think what especially bugged Jackson, though, is the way he's credited on the back of the album. It reads, The mandolin was played by the mandolin player in Lindisfarne. The name slips my mind, which, let's face it, is kind of a jerk move. But in the end, Jackson did not sue, so who knows how important it really was to him. And finally, we have that folk song that provided the scratch lyric for Stewart called Maggie May, M-A-E. That folk song is specifically a Northern England folk song from a little town called Liverpool, the hometown of four other guys who also became famous musicians and who also had a song called Maggie May, which appeared on the Let It Be album. That original Maggie May was supposedly a prostitute who hung out on Lime Street in that town, and it's one of those songs that has lots of variations. The earliest version of it goes back to about 1905, but here's a version that proved quite popular in 1956 when A.L. Lloyd released it on an album called English Drinking Songs. 
Now come all you young sailors and listen to me plea And when you've heard me tell you'll pity me For I was a goddamn fool in the port of Liverpool The very first time I came home from sea Now I paid off at the home from the port of Sierra Leone Three pound ten a month it was me pay But I wasted all my tin whilst drinking up the gin With a little girl whose name was Maggie May Now well do I remember where I first met Maggie May She was cruising up and down in Canning Place So you can hear the melody the Beatles used, it's not quite the same words But then again, John and Paul were just doing a warm-up and fooling around, and John liked to play with the lyrics that way. That said, Paul knows exactly what John is doing, and he's singing along, so it's clearly been sung that way before. And while the full name Maggie May, M-A-Y, doesn't appear in the lyrics to the song, Stuart liked the wordplay provided by spelling it M-A-Y, as in, sometimes she would, and sometimes she wouldn't. The song became a huge hit, and at one point, uh, both Maggie May and the album Every Picture Tells a Story were in the number one position in both the U.S. and the U.K., the first time that something like that had ever happened simultaneously. And Faces became Rod Stewart in the Faces before he finally broke away altogether. As far as covers of the song, sure, there are about 45 of them out there, including uh, Melissa Etheridge, Burton Cummings, Blur, and this one you're listening to now by The Pogues, which they recorded in 1987 during the sessions for their If I Should Fall From Grace With God album, but which didn't make that album, so it didn't see the light of day until it turned up in a box set in 2008. And now it is time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two, I asked you what the videos for these songs had in common. We had A View to a Kill by Duran Duran, You'll Be in My Heart by Phil Collins, Forever Man by Eric Clapton, Everybody Have Fun Tonight by Wang Chung, and Hip to Be Square by Huey Lewis and the News. Well, the common thread is that they were all directed by Kevin Godley and Lal Crean. Now, you might remember that pair from all the way back to episode one of this show as the writers of I'm Not In Love. Well, in 1979, they decided to direct their own video of their song, Englishman in New York, which is not the same song performed by Sting a few years later. From there, they became involved in the production of videos for a number of artists, including the five I've mentioned here. I have to admit, I don't really remember the song Englishman in New York, but when I went back to watch the video, there were definitely parts of that which came back to my memory. I'll link it at the website so that you too can have a trip down memory lane. It's a pretty innovative video, especially for its time. And that, my friend, is a full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you're enjoying the show, please take the time to share it with someone and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. And now you can support the show over at patreon.com slash how good it is. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com. 
or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at How Good It Is. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. Or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thanks, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. Next time around, we're going to find out how good it is when we take our annual closer look at some holiday tunes. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. If I can. If I can.